hundred years. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now. What's the plan now? Gotta get it done. No time for fun now. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now. What's the plan now? Gotta move on. Those days are gone now. Boom. Stories that need to be told. I mean, the Mike Young show. How interesting is that? I can't even get over my old title. <laughs> we- Big announcement. The new show is called the Mike Young show. The boss of ATC, Al Madrigal, said maybe we need to do a little rebranding. Sparked my mind a little bit. It was very interesting because I thought stories that need to be told, that's a lot of pressure to tell a lot of stories. Now I got a ton of stories but do they all need to be told, A, and B, are they all that interesting? Now, unless we're going to bring in a guest every single week who's got another phenomenal story, I think the Mike Young Show is just a better name, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Shorter, more towards the point. Right, better name, better branding. Besides, what do you know, stories that need to be told, let's get my name out there. I mean, I've been doing comedy for almost 20 years, you know what I mean? Exactly. Let somebody hear the name already. Yeah, <laughs> let let the you know man that? let the man behind the curtain be seen. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz shit is over with. Mike <laughs> Young show. We're gonna have all kinds of stuff going on. We're gonna get formatted. We're gonna have like a little bit of single mic on there. We're gonna have a little bit of you know what I mean, a little single mic advice moment. I know Al was talking like maybe we get single mic. And we do like a full advice show for people that are trying to get their groove on in the single world. I don't want to do that for a full hour. I think people will get annoyed, but it will be a fun segment. So what we'll do is we'll have like people call in. Maybe some of my single buddies will call in or maybe people, people that are going through, you know, relationship stuff that's heavy and I can kind of help them out. You know what I mean? That'd be great. Just because I've been. Absolutely. I was thinking it'd be good just to help you like, um, if you would help one of your friends through like a live date with like, you know, maybe like a, a mic in their ear or something, or like yeah. Snapchat glasses, just Yo. like you'd be behind the scenes of a date, <laughs> telling them what to say, seeing what they're saying. <laughs> Listen, bro, I'll go on a date with you. <laughs> uh, we'll, set up, we'll set up a Bumble date for, for uh, Stock Tip Dave. I'll go on the date with a microphone and an earpiece. I'll feed you lines like Cyrano de Bergerac. And we'll see if we can't get your groove on. You know what I mean? <laughs> That'd be awesome. People need help. Hollywood is a tough dating town. It is a terrible, terrible town to date because fame wins and money wins. And if you don't have fame and money, you, it's tough. Like, I was sitting at the coffee shop the other day. Some beautiful Colombian girl sat next to me. I was like, she looked like a supermodel with ten, professional tennis arms. I started talking to her, and, like, I could say to somebody, I'm a comedian, I could say I'm a director, I could say I'm a writer. Usually the first thing that pops out of my mouth is comedian. But now I'm starting to realize, like, turns out she was Miss Columbia. I didn't know until after. Yeah, she was Miss Columbia sitting next to me, right? And I'm talking to her, I'm saying cool, I'm saying all my best shit, this and that. And then when I invited her to the comedy store and said I was a comedian... It took a dive. The conversation took a bit of a dive. But meanwhile, she's an actress. Which I, I didn't know that until I Googled her, looked her up, and researched her. 
turns out she's an actress trying to like get jobs in L.A. Meanwhile, if I want to hit her with director, who knows? She and I might be dating by Thursday. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? She would have gotten your phone number right we then and there. Been dating already. But that's the terrible thing about dating in LA. You gotta kinda know your you gotta know the playing field, you gotta know where you stand, you gotta know and it's too bad because on the surface, she and I were getting along great. I thought she was eating avocado toast. We were talking <laughs> about too many avocados, you know what I mean? I was having my little chicken sausage. She didn't like chicken sausage unless it was in her eggs. We got along we were we were, we were dating by the end of this thing. And then when I hit her with stand-up comic, in her mind, she's like, oh, stand-up comedian. She doesn't know. She doesn't know I could put her in the next movie. She has no idea. And then, I don't know that either. You would, you would have said director. She would have um, given your, you know, her card, her phone number, her headshot in like five seconds. Yeah, who knows, bro? All I know is I've been to parties in L.A., and I say this. I've said this before. I've been to parties in L.A. I've said all my best Detroit shit dropped all my best little personality moves and the girl still goes home with the fourth lead on a sitcom that got canceled. You know what I mean? <laughs> they, they like fame in LA. I've seen it, you know, being friends with Leo and Kevin and, and yeah, Lucas and, you know, all my boys that are actors and Toby, when you hit Spider-Man, I've seen it. You know, you don't get, you don't get the attention that you're supposed to get just based on being a cool, good person. You know, you got to come with extra. That's why, like, that's why L.A. is the worst. It's the worst dating city ever. Unless you have, unless you have famous friends or you're willing to, you know, you're willing to lock. You you mentioned that in your comedy act when I saw you at the comedy store about about having famous friends. Yeah, yeah, it's great getting a famous friend because you end up, you know what I mean? You get the second chance opportunity because they're like, oh, well, if Leo's going to be friends with him, he must have something going on. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, bitch, I'm working my ass off to try to get things going. I can't help if I'm friends with these guys just because, you know, I'm a good basketball player and I was in the league with them, you know. Exactly. So anyway, we're, re- we're, 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 we're reconfiguring the show. The Mike Young show is a much better title, I think. You know, it, it just rides right along with, like, my dreams when I was 15 years old thinking about coming to L.A. You exactly. know? Like, exactly. that's what I want. And we'll have some so new we'll artwork. Have a segment. <laughs> we'll get the new artwork. We'll have one little segment on the dating. We'll have a full, real story that's going on. You know, I'll, I'll tell a story. We'll have, we'll, we'll put Stock Tip Dave out in the streets if we have to. And uh, <laughs> we'll talk about projects that are going on. Absolutely. And meanwhile, right now, I'm in Detroit, and I'm getting picked up at 7 o'clock. If Miss Columbia knew this, I was, that I was getting an Escalade picking me up and taking me to Canada, maybe she'd be returning my calls. <laughs> but I'm getting, I'm getting picked up. I'm, going to, uh, I'm, I'm working with Russell Peters, one of the biggest comedians on planet Earth, Forbes, you know, Forbes magazine you know, selling out 15,000 seats at the San Jose Shark Arena for, you know, years and, and selling out, you know, stadiums everywhere. I'm super fortunate. Russell called me last week and was like, yo, are you going to be in Detroit by chance? I said, yeah. He's like, yo, you want to play Caesars Palace in Windsor? I said, hell yeah. Wow, so, Caesars Palace. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so we're playing Caesars Windsor tomorrow. 
I got a car coming to get me at seven. You know what I mean? It's going to be a super dope show. I haven't, I haven't performed with Russell in like three or four years. Probably there was a time where I went on the road with him a lot and, uh, he's just a super cool dude. And you know, I get to be home in Detroit. I'll go to Windsor, do a show and uh, Miss Columbia will never see me. So, you know, if you, if you, if you run into to, to Val, I think her name's Valerie, if you run into her, you let her know. Yeah. Hey, you should you should have gone to the comedy store. Exactly. And you know, like, one story that we never got to tell last week that I was curious about because we actually you know put it on our Instagram as well is I think people want to hear about your experience with Rob Gronkowski and your Showtime special on Sportsmanlike Comedy, and we never got a chance to actually you know dive into that. I appreciate the transition, Dave. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you one lesson again. Okay. All right. This, you're my boy. I know that you were sitting there the whole time I've been talking about going to open for Russell. You've been biting your lip and just dying in your mind. All you're thinking about is Rob Gronkowski Showtime special, right? No, I was listening. All you were thinking. I was listening to everything you were saying. Uh, (laughs) All right. But but you, I'm not, I'm not going to get into the, I'm not going to get into it right now. We're going to talk after the show, but yes, I was going to tell more about me going on the road with Russell back in the day. And then I'll tell you how the Showtime special came about. Okay. But back in the day, Russell saw me at the comedy store. We became good friends to the point where he's such a cool dude. He literally has my brother when he comes to LA staying at his palace staying in this house all of a sudden my brother pulls up in my apartment in like a a hundred thousand dollar audi that russell just gave him for three days he's like take my car so russell is family to me and we've done a ton of fun stuff on the road and i remember one year we flew private from la to san jose played the shark tank arena for twelve thousand people wow and going on in front of 12,000 people is like, you got to wait for the last to be finished. You know what I mean? How long were you, you up say there? Something, I did 20 minutes in front of, in of 12,000 people. Wow. Yeah. And so the laughter is like, ah, it's like a wave. <laughs> you you got to wait it out. And I'll never forget when I got off stage and I rocked 12,000. I was by myself getting off the stage and I walked down the steps and out loud, I just yelled to myself, I'm a motherfucking pimp. <laughs> was that the, <laughs> lo- was that the I, longest, the, the largest crowd you've performed in front of? Yeah, 12,000 people was definitely the biggest crowd I've played. And it was all due to Russell being cool and having confidence in me that I would not blow the show. And so we played that. Then we got on a private plane from San Jose and we went to Atlanta, where we pay, played 10,000 people. Wow. Played 10,000 people at the Hawks Arena. And then we did the show, and we got back on the private. There's some real rock and roll. Wow, you did it at Phillips shit. Arena? You, did, you performed at Phillips Arena? Yeah, played Phillips Arena. Got back on the private plane and flew to Montreal to go see George St. Pierre fight. Uh, <laughs> a UFC fight. And so I was like, yo, I could definitely live like this. This is really good living. And we went there. And the funny thing is, and this is where, this is where bitchy Mike Young is at. We're, uh, there's a bunch of storms coming through Florida. So the private plane is going to get out late. 
and we're, we're not late, but we're going to try to beat the storms. I panicked, and I was like, yo, I'm not taking the private plane. I'm going to hang out with my cousins tomorrow, and I'm just going to fly commercial back. So my dumbass didn't even get on the private plane because I saw all the storms coming. I got nervous, and uh, and they went back, and, of course, everybody was safe and sound. And, you know, I was on a fucking Delta flight sitting in a cattle call. <laughs> but it's... I ended up having the best time, I mean, and it... and Russell... It's just a great dude, you know? Yeah. Always fashionable and cool, like way into hip-hop like I am, way into boxing like I am. So that that little run on the road with with him was amazing. I mean, you must have quit your... you brought up the... I was going to say, you might have... You, I was going to say, you probably had a lot of adrenaline coming off that stage performing in front of ten to 12,000 people. Like, right when you got yeah, up. Yeah, bro, that's why I... That's, yeah, that's why I yelled out, I'm a motherfucking pimp. I don't know where those words came from. I've never said that in my life. But after playing, you know, after you rock 12,000 people, the adrenaline's flying so crazy, so high, you know what I mean? And you're feeling so positive and confident that shit just flies out of your mouth and you don't even know what it means. But I literally got off stage and I was like, I'm a motherfucking pimp. And then we hung out all night and uh, flew private everywhere. So... Shout out to Russell Peters. I'm definitely going to have Russell on the show. He's been through a lot. You know what I mean? The dude is like, he's from the hood, bro. He's like from the Toronto hood. Russell Peters is no fucking child of privilege. I could tell you that. He will whoop your ass and he will go tell jokes about it. He has no problem. He can box. He can grapple. He's UFC schooled in that shit. I actually almost got in a fight in Vegas with me and one of his boys went to eat. We were in a late night cafe in Vegas after the show. Russell's friend, um, fucking, how am I forgetting his friend? His boy, he's my friend. One of his friends, he's an actor. He's a good, he's a, he was on the road with us a whole bunch. His name just, it'll come to me in a second. Jesus. Not Eddie, but Eddie's his assistant. But uh, one of his boys were eating late night in like Caesar's, lobby or like the coffee shop and russell's boy was hammered and he went over to these girls table and started talking to him and all of a sudden like some giant dude comes and rips his friend out of the booth and throws him and he like doesn't fall he kind of like still balances himself and so i'm thinking oh shit we're about to fight in the middle of a cafe in caesar's in in vegas so i can't fight unless my shoes are tied so it's about to go down and I start tying my gym shoes. But while I'm tying my gym shoes, security already came and threw the dude out. So the joke was that when Russell's boy turned around to see what happened to me, I was tying my shoes. And he's like, yo, what's wrong with you? I almost got beat up and you're over there tying your shoes. <laughs> I'm like, yo, bro, I can't, I can't fight unless my shoes are tight. I learned that from my boy in high school, Ike Lipsy. Shout out Ike Lipsy. All-American running back. Ike used to whoop everyone's ass in high school, but he always tied his shoes first. It was oh. like a funny thing. Well, yeah, and I actually just I am I am DB'd Russell Peters. He's been in a lot of good movies too. Yeah, bro, Russell's and, and I wanted to put him in a, a stand-up guy, but I couldn't find him. He was like all over the world traveling. I couldn't get his schedule straight. You know, it's so funny. I called like a few of my boys, like Brett Ernst. I wanted to get in the movie. And to this day, he's like, you didn't put me in the movie. I'm like, yo, bro, I tried to find you. You know, comedians <laughs> are like, 
they're not the most organized people. Like if like it's like it's like Al was talking about last week. It's like if comedians banded together and had like a meeting, like just like one meeting every week, you know what I mean? They could accomplish major, major things. And I'm starting to think that maybe I need to like lead an organization here of like and organize these guys to where it's like we're gonna write a script for us. We're going to meet every week. We're going to have a table read every week. We're going to get the script down to where it's so funny, it's undeniable. Everybody is not going on the road for a 30-day period where we shoot. And we're going to make a hit movie for like half a million, and it's going to make like $30 million. That'd be and awesome. It's super, and it's super, super possible. It's just getting the comedians to sit down. Yeah, you'd probably have, you know to, have, I mean? a, you'd probably like, have to have a big, big email chain for everybody. Like, just get everybody's email because you know everybody's already on their phones like twenty four seven. So they'll they'll see it, they'll check it. Yeah, I mean, all the the heads of the mafia sat down at the Appalachian sit down in like the fifties. There was no email. There was barely <laughs> any telephone. You know what I mean? These guys all showed up at the house. They sat down. You're telling me comedians can't like get on an email chain and just make a time and be there? You know, everybody's so fake busy. Exactly. Everyone's fake busy. Eight. But I know you're dying to talk about Gronkowski, so I'll tell you the story. Okay. You ready? Yeah, I'm dying. Let's hear it. All right. So Matt, so Matt Schuler is kind of uh, used to be a, a comedy manager. He managed comedians. Now he's a producer. Matt Schuler's a great dude. I, I, I want to say he used to work at Three Arts. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, Levity, at Levity. And uh, he was doing a Showtime special. He got, the, he got the green light from Showtime to do um, a show called Unsportsmanlike Comedy. Well, Rob Gronkowski gonna, was going to host it. He was locked in to host it. And one of my friends is Gronk's manager, my boy Henry. So once they locked Gronk in, Henry called me. Go and he's a character. He's one of Mark Wahlberg's good friends. And Henry's like an old school hilarious dude. He talks like this. He's like, Mike, I gotta tell you, Gronkowski's gonna do a special. You're the perfect person to write this. I'm telling you, Mike, I, I, you're gonna meet Gronk. He's gonna <laughs> love you, but just make sure you make him look good, okay? He's never done comedy before. You gotta make him feel comfortable. So. Henry calls me, gets me on the phone with Gronk. Gronk's like the nicest, coolest dude. He really is a cool dude. And he is 100% authentic. He is, Gronk is Gronk. He's that dude that you think he is. He's like your high school jock. You know what I mean? Like, I met, so I, I get on the phone. We talk about like how the comedy, I'm, I'm going to write his monologue, you know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to produce the show. So I'm going to write his monologue. We're going to get the four comedians to go on after him. He's going to do bits between everybody, and it's going to be fun. we got cheerleaders. we got the whole thing. So <clears throat> Gronk and I get along great on the phone. We're, good. We're all good. So Henry's like, done. You've got the job. I'm going to make you a producer and a, and a writer on the Showtime show. <laughs> so Schuler calls me. My deal's locked in. They're flying me to Boston. We're going to do the show at a theater right next to, right near the stadium where the pass play. My first time at the stadium. I go there, and Henry's like, you got to go to the house and talk to Grunt. He wants to discuss the monologue. <laughs> so, so 
They send a car. They get me at the hotel. Now I'm on my way to Gronk's house. Like, so like Matt Schuler is like, yo, did you talk to Gronk? Is everything cool? Because the one thing I can do better than most people can do is I can kind of speak to people like, like I can speak to Gronk. I'm cool like that. I got friends that are athletes. They don't shake me up. The other producers were terrified of Gronk. They didn't want to talk to him. They were scared he was going to leave. They were petrified he wasn't going to do the material. I didn't give a fuck. I knew I was going to be cool with Gronk. We would speak the same language. It was going to be game on. We were going to be good. So they send the car, and they send, they're taking me now. I'm by myself. I'm going to Gronk's house. So we pull up at, like, this gated monstrosity of a house, just a huge fucking palace in some neighborhood, right? We pull up. The gate opens. The car pulls in. Gronk's playing catch with, like, his college friends, and they're playing catch with a baseball, and they're just tossing the ball back and forth at, like, 80 miles an hour. You know what I mean? With, with, with or without gloves. With no, no, they're playing with gloves. They got gloves, and you could tell his boys are athletes. These are, like, the dudes that he grew, you know, that he played college ball with. You know, they're all ripped. One dude's, like, Hawaiian-looking. He's fucking... 250, not an ounce of fat, all muscle. He's throwing the ball at Gronk. Gronk's like a professional baseball player at this point. They're throwing the ball around with no fear of any kind of like injury to the NFL. You know what I mean? They don't give a fuck. Oh, yeah. They're not worried about getting hurt. They're just Gronk's barefoot, shirtless, you know. Then one of his, one of his boys who's like a day drinker, he's like the one alcoholic friend who like could have been an athlete. He's playing <laughs> catch with them. So we're all, we, we go in, I meet Gronk and, you know, I let them do their thing. I go in the house. Henry's there. My boy, Henry, he lets me in the house. I hang out in the house for a little while. I meet the cleaning lady. I'm just kicking it there. I see the bottles of, uh, of, uh, what's it called? Of 1942, which, uh, you know, that's my thing. So I slow sip a little 42, you know, it's like six at night, whatever. And I'm slow sipping 42 in comes Gronk with the crew and we meet, you know what I mean? We hug it out. He's like, yo, I love the monologue. Let's go over it. Da, da, da. So I realized Gronk is like a real, he takes shit seriously. He's a total professional. You know what I mean? Total professional. So we get out the monologue and we start now I'm coaching him in a comedy monologue oh, and wow. he's pacing around his kitchen doing the act. You know, he's doing the opening bit. And, you know, he, he's not a comedian. He just is a funny person. So basically, we just ping-ponged for like three hours back and forth, trimming up this monologue so he felt comfortable. So I kind of put it back into his voice a little bit. Exactly. And it turned out, boom, everybody was happy. So now it's like 8.30, 9 o'clock, and they're doing like a reality show around Gronk at this point. So there's like a camera crew coming in. So they're like, yo, we're going to this restaurant. So then they get us all in a truck. We all roll to some restaurant. I'm getting lit up on 1942, feeling fantastic. <laughs> Top of my personality comes out. You know what I mean? It was great. And so we get to the we get to this restaurant. They this, the reality TV crew is there. They shoot what they got to shoot for Gronk. We go into the night and we all go back to Gronk's house and we party. We have fun. His brothers are there. His dad showed up. His dad's like six four. 240 pounds of solid rock. You know what I mean? Like his dad, well, his dad looks like he could play college baseball right now. 
Yeah, they're, they're, I didn't realize because like, I was watching Shark Week and they were, and they were giving Gronkowski stats and they were saying he's 6'6 six, six and 260. I had no idea he was 260. Yeah, no, the Gronkowski family is a genetic. It lets you know that you're from a weak species. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you look at these guys and you go, yeah, there was just no chance. Like Gronk, he looks like he could eat me. <laughs> so his brothers were there and they're all gigantic. One played for the Dodgers. You know what I mean? They all have professional athlete genetics. So they're just lumbering around. And I'm just, I'm over there bragging about my softball team. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, yo, fellas, you guys don't even know. I played the hot corner. I, I'm fucking dope. You, got, you want me on your softball team. You know what I mean? They're just laughing because they're looking at me like, yo, he's got gray hair in his beard. You know what I mean? He looks like he couldn't gain weight if he wanted. And he's Jewish. So we don't even know what he's talking so that's. I was gonna say how long is go the mo- how long is the monologue that you were working on with him? How long? Did five that- minutes. Five minutes. It's a five minute monologue. So, you know, you got five minutes is a long time if you've never done stand up. It's a long time. Believe me, two minutes is long. So we got a five minute monologue, and you know we got to do it. So I called the producers. And I said, listen, we changed a lot of the wording. Now you got to put this thing, you got to put this on a, a, pro, a teleprompter for Gronk. You know, you got to put it on a prompter for Gronk. So they're like, cool, no problem. So they get the teleprompter ready. The show's the next night. They sold out the theater. Wow. And the comedian, yeah, they sold out the theater. And the comedians are all set to go. And it's John Caparulo, Finesse Mitchell, um, uh, Lou, oh man, I forgot, fuck. Do you have those names? Do you have those names on you? Those comedians? Um, give me one. Jay Larson. Um, and then there's like a oh Lenny Clark, like a they're like all Boston legends. These guys. So, all the comedians. So the next night's the big show, you know. So Gronk's got the monologue already. Everybody goes to bed. I get some good sleep. They put me in a beautiful hotel. You know, next day is showtime. I'm a producer on the show. All the showtime people are there. So I'm thinking, like, you're showtime. So, you know, you must be confident, like, talking to talent and this and that. Exactly. So next thing I know, I'm the fucking communicator to Gronkowski. I'm the only one that speaks Gronk. So did you work with just Gronkowski or all the comedians? Because I have the list, like you said. You had Justin McKinney, Finesse Mitchell, John Caparulo, Jay Larson, and Lenny Clark. Did you work with all of them individually or just, Rob, or just you know, Rob? I worked with all of them individually. I mean, they all wrote, obviously, they all do their own act. But I basically prefaced, like, the order of the show, how it was going to go down, <clears throat> and the vibe of the show. So I talked to everybody individually. And I wrote a sketch that kicked off the show on Showtime that everybody was a part of. So the funny shit was, I know Caparulo for years. I've known him for like 15 years. So I wrote him into the sketch as like a funny redneck who's a little bit lazy. And it's kind of what he is. Like, he says it in his act. He watches video games all day and he's over a little bit overweight. So I write him this really funny bit and he comes to me and he's like, is there any way that I could like change like my uh, like I, I like I don't have to be like the lazy like semi overweight guy like I was like <laughs> yo that that is what you are we're like that's you you talk about it in your act you say you play video games all day your wife's running around you know what I mean you're a gamer 
So meanwhile, he don't, I had to change his shit last minute. So I had to rewrite his shit so he'd be happy. So now I rewrite Caparulo's shit. You know, we're start time for filming is like four o'clock in the afternoon. And everybody rolls down. Everyone's at the venue. Grant could not be more relaxed. He could give a shit. He's so calm. <laughs> He's just, ne- I've never seen anybody less worried about anything. You know what I mean? That's amazing. He's Especially like, for his first time. Meanwhile, yeah, and he hasn't had a shirt on in two days. <laughs> Grant's been shirtless for two straight days. I never saw him put a shirt on the whole time I was there, except for except the opening of the show. Then he took the shirt off anyway. Exactly. And then for so, the... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, then the show, you know, then the, then the film crew came, and I realized that the heads of production from Showtime, they kept coming to me like, yo, Mike, is everything okay with Gronk? Is he happy? I was like, no, are you guys, like, scared to talk to him? Because <clears throat> what happened was, and this is, like, a kind of a funny, this is, like, the hook of the story. We get ready to shoot the show. We shoot the sketch, goes off perfectly. Sketch goes over great. Everybody's happy. And now it's showtime. Everybody's in the theater. The place is packed. Gronk's ready to go on. But Gronk, unbeknownst to anybody, he's got a T-shirt on under his sport coat that has the Monster Energy Drink sign on it, <laughs> like the logo. So you can't put logos on showtime. I didn't know this. Nobody told me this. Nobody told Gronk this. They, you know, they, they, they fucked up. You know what I mean? They should have like told everybody what was going on. So Gronk does the show. You know, Gronk comes out. The crowd goes crazy. The backup dancers are there. The cheerleaders. It's bananas. Gronk delivers the monologue. He fucking kills it perfectly. Brings up the first comedian. Comes backstage. He's like, yo, I can't believe I fucking killed it. It I was like, yo, you killed it. You were great. He goes in the back. He hangs with his brothers and his family. He's probably having a drink back there, so relaxed. Next thing I know, the fucking head of Showtime production comes up to me. We got a problem. I was like, yo, what's the problem? He's like, Gronk took his shirt off and it said Monster Energy on his shirt. I said, what's the problem? That's his sponsor. They pay him tons of money, millions of dollars every year. Why can't he wear it? Why can't Showtime call Monster and say, yo, let's cut a deal. Let's figure this out. They're like, it doesn't work like that, man. We might have to cut the whole segment. Please, please. You have to talk to Gronk. He has to redo his monologue. Oh, man. So now, yo, this is a fucking live taped event. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I mean, can't we just go into CGI and block that out? Like, can you just do something? They're like, no, please, Mike, please. I was like, do you guys want to talk to him? No, no, please, man. You're getting along with them. Please, you're going to save our lives. Please. So next thing you know, I'm like, all right, fellas, I got it. I know how to talk to Gronk. I know I know how I'm going to pull this off because I'm a master communicator. I got this shit down. I, can, I speak athlete. I speak alcoholic. I speak <laughs> drunk. I, I speak millionaire. I speak, I speak young millionaire. You know what I mean? I know exactly what I'm going to say here. I'm going to let a couple comedians, I told Gronk, first of all, you go out there in between, do your thing, but keep your jacket tight, please. Don't take that shirt off. Don't let anyone see that shirt. I don't tell him that he has to do his monologue all over again yet. I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to let the, I'm going to let three comedians get through their shit. 
let Gronk be totally relaxed, and then I'm going to hit him towards the end and just say, listen, this is going to sound crazy, man, and I know you killed it, but this is the way these live comedy tapings go sometimes. We're going to change your shirt, and you're going to go out there, and you're going to do the monologue again, but this time you can just have a ton of fun, but you got to tighten it up a little bit because you did five or you did seven minutes. You're supposed to do five. So I kind of pitched it to him as if he had gone over and we need to shoot it shorter. Uh, And he was like, fuck that. I can't believe this shit. And basically I just finessed him to the point where I got him happy and calm. And he, at the end of the show, after we did the whole ending, we had to tell the whole crowd, don't leave. We're going to do this one more time up front. And so Gronk went back up, did the whole monologue again, and actually killed it again and maybe even killed it better the second time. And so that was that. We came off with a super successful show. Showtime ran it, unsportsmanlike comedy. We're still waiting to hear if they want to do a bunch more episodes, but that was my first Showtime producing gig where I was actually like really producing. You know what I mean? Like That's awesome. making sure everybody had their shit tight. Because producing is really just doing what you got to do to get everything in the can. Yeah, and you got to be the, the master communicator like you were saying, because that's all part of producing as well, being able to communicate, bring people together. Yeah, because these executive dudes, they were scared of Gronk. They were nervous. They didn't know how to talk. I was like, where the fuck did you guys grow up? Did you never even hang with an athlete? You know what I mean? Like, they just didn't have it. Yeah, I'm looking at the you know? uh, the showtime for this exact episode, and it's actually the next showing of your of your produced special is actually Thursday at 4:30 in the morning Eastern time, but you can catch it on demand any at any time on Showtime. Okay, yeah, so it's called unsportsmanlike con un- unsportsmanlike comedy. Catch it on demand. It's I think it came off really good. Did you ever watch it, Dave? Um, I've been looking for it. I don't actually, I need to get access to Showtime to watch the whole thing. I've seen the opening monologue. I've seen the Tom Brady joke, but I haven't watched the whole full 65 minutes. Right. But it was my first cable, you know, my first cable producing comedy special. And I got to say, I had a great time doing it. And I look forward to doing more stuff like that to put in the resume, you know? It's like the more tools you end up having in your, in your toolbox, the more work you get, you know? So if, like somebody called me and said, yo, do you have any experience, you know, producing blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hell yeah. You know, I fucking, I produced the whole Showtime special with Matt Schuler. Yo, the funniest was Henry, who's Gronk's manager. When I had to tell Gronk to redo the monologue, he was scared of Gronk. <laughs> That's Bro, funny. I don't know how he's going to react. He's never had to redo anything. He doesn't want to do this. They don't pay him enough. Monster Energy gives him $11 million a year. I don't think this is a good idea. I don't know. I, I'm freaking out, man. What are you going to say to him? I said, Henry, I got you, buddy. I got you. <laughs> and Henry, he's, one of, he's a classic character. He was like, he's like the dude like 15 years ago. He'd be getting Wahlberg's car washed. You know what I mean? Exactly. Isn't he the one that Kevin, Kevin uh, Conley portrays in um, Entourage? No, he no? does not portray him. Oh. No. No, he, you know, Entourage was a blended mix of Wahlberg's crew, Leo's crew. You know, it was, it was an amalgamation of characters. 
But, you know, it, it started with Wahlberg's crew, but if Entourage was really about Wahlberg's crew, it would be a much darker show. You know what I mean? Like in tone. You know what I mean? Wahlberg's crew was, he had some he had some real hood shit going on back in his day. Oh yeah. I've heard you know definitely heard a few stories. Yeah, like some of his crew, the real turtle, was hanging out at gold the other night. You met him. Oh yeah, that's right. He had the the dyed blonde hair. Yeah, little little yeah, little gallo. Johnny Johnny G. He's the real turtle. He was the real inspiration for Turtle. And he still looks like Turtle. <laughs> you know? He came up there bleach blonde. He's a grown man. All of a sudden, he's got bleach blonde hair like he's hiding in the witness protection program. You know? I don't know what he's doing, but he's funny as hell. And I told him, I said, dude, you need to have your own show at this point. You know? Like, he really needs to have his own show because... He's just a real character. He's got that gangster vibe. He speaks in half sentences. Would he be good at stand-up comedy you know, or like, what? Yo, la- he's like, yo, last time I saw you, I can't even, and I don't even want to go there because I was about to, and if we ever have to see someone that, and I didn't even want to know that it was you who was, <laughs> and then I heard from somebody else that we were talking, and then I couldn't believe what I was, and bro, I'm telling you, it's on. I'm like, this motherfucker doesn't say a, a full sentence ever. That's hilarious. Ever. Oh, by the way, shout out to my mom. It's her birthday today. Oh, nice. Happy birthday, Miss Young. I'll tell her. She's up north, so I'm in Detroit right now. She's up at the lake house. I move. Yo, shout out Stock Tip Dave. Thanks for moving me, buddy. How'd that move go? It went pretty well. The only thing that was absolutely terrifying was the elevator at the public storage because it literally would close five seconds after it opened. So, like, the elevator was sitting there closing on us when we are trying to move furniture. Like, I had to run in there with a few pieces. Like, I had to, like, hold the door open so they didn't drop your furniture. Like, I tell you what, that public storage, that's an accident waiting to happen with their elevator. And, and they didn't take it too seriously because, like, me and the movers were, like, it was, like, running through – an obstacle course trying to make sure we made it in there in and out alive. <laughs> well, that's not good because I'm going to have to move shit out of there at some point and find a place to live. Yeah. It was like the quickest closing elevator I've ever dealt with in history. Like there's one point where one of the movers got in and then it just shut me and the other mover out and he had to go up by himself and he had to wait for it to come back down. <laughs> so it, was, right. it was out of control. Yo, bro, th- thank you so much for handling that, Dave. What happened was, it was supposed to be the day before, and their truck broke down. So they called me, and they're like, yo, can we do it tomorrow? Meanwhile, I had a flight to Detroit. So this is the first time I've ever moved without moving. And I can't believe I've been in that building 13 years, man, and I feel nothing about leaving. I literally couldn't care. I have no feelings. I got neighbors. I got the people that work there. The only person I'm going to miss, really, is Jaime, my maintenance guy who I love, who's my man. But I can't believe I'm out of that building, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jesus, 13 years in the same place. And we, we got, I've seen it all. We got all of it in there, too. It's, it was amazing. All of it, every drop of it into the, uh, the storage locker. Well, thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. But that building, bro, that building's seen it all. You know what I mean? 
I got celebrities living down the hall. I got professional athletes. I got hookers. There's all <laughs> kinds of stuff going on in the building. You know what I mean? They got hookers in there that are from like another country. Next, you know what I mean? You see like an old man walk in the hallway. All of a sudden, like techno music goes on in a room. Forty <laughs> minutes later, an old man walks out <laughs> to the pool. <laughs> they got a whole situation on their hands, you know. And it was uh, it was just time for me to leave, bro. Yeah, I heard. Time a few, for me to leave. I heard a few girls walking by your apartment that had uh, you know, accents from other countries. Yeah, 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 for sure. Oh, did, when you were moving, did you hear them? Yeah, one, one. I believe it was a Russian accent. It was a blonde, blonde. She was wearing a hat, so I couldn't really see her too well. All I saw was blonde hair and a Russian accent. Yeah, yeah. She likes to keep it low pro. I know who that is. <laughs> she doesn't talk too much. She's told not to speak to neighbors. You know, there was one, one girl, one, one girl from like Czechoslovakia or something. I actually became cool with her in the gym, and I think she was yeah living that shady life. But one time I came back from Christmas, there was like a gift. She bought me like a Mickey Mouse doll, a bunch of chocolate candies, and it was like a hat. Merry Christmas there. She was super nice. <laughs> I don't judge hookers, bro. I don't judge them. Yeah, I don't judge at all. Meanwhile, I'm in Detroit right now. I have no car because the car is picking me up at 7. There's no food in my mom's house. I don't even know how many. I got to get to the supermarket. And I'm like, am I going to Uber in my own neighborhood? Or should I just call a neighbor? I mean, you might have, have to drive. You might have to Uber, or if you can find a bird in Detroit, it might be interesting trying a bird with some grocery bags in each hand. <laughs> you know, I don't think, no, I'm not in Detroit. I'm in the suburbs, you know? I'm totally out in the suburbs. Maybe I'll call my neighbor who's, like, real cool. I'll say, yo, John, can I borrow your car for one hour? Have you seen any of those birds over there, or no? They don't exist in Detroit yet. Uh, no, I mean, you know, I, I have no idea. I'm sure they are downtown. But last time I was in Detroit, I actually took a scooter, like a like a, a baby motorcycle with my boy, Jeff, and we he's got two of them. And we actually drove down Woodward Avenue, like the shadiest part of ever, ever. And we drove all the way down to downtown Detroit, had a great day on scooters. <laughs> yeah, they're taking over it the world. I don't know, man. I think those birds are going to end up, there's going to be a bad situation with those things. I think people are crashing them. I think there's people that don't know how to drive them. Oh, yeah. I think people are leaving them like they're trash along the street. Exactly. You know? I mean, my cousin got into a pretty, serious, uh, pretty serious accident riding one. He had to have surgery because of it. Who? One of my cousins. He was riding a bird in Brentwood and crashed and had to have surgery. No way. Oh, yeah. Recently? Yeah, this like this happened like probably right around in June, and he's still still you know he's still recovering from it. Damn, you didn't even tell me that. He got hit by a car. Or he fell because he can't ride. Uh, I think I don't know the exact details. I think he fell and broke his leg and had to have pins put in his leg. It was just Shit, like, it was an awkward way that he fell off the bird. Bad birds. <laughs> You got to know how to ride a bird, I'll tell you that. I know actually how to, I'm, I'm, I'm good on that stuff. They're def- I'm good. They're definitely- so how's LA, man? I, I, I've been gone a day. I got back last night, had a great meal, went with my nephews and my brother. We went to, uh, went to PF Chang's when I landed, got to see the nephews. I'm kind of upset. I can't, everyone's going up north for my mom's birthday, but I got the show tomorrow night in Windsor, so I'm not rolling up there. 
I'm kind of bummed, but it's all right. You can go. I'm going to go up north. How far is it from where you're going? Four-hour drive. You know, four-hour drive up the freeway. The most beautiful place on earth, Charlevoix, Michigan. You know, Lake Michigan. Kid Rock is up there with his giant yacht parked outside like my mom's place. (laughs) And my mom's like, Kid Rock's out there and the yacht is on the... He's got like a, I guess he's friends with the guy from Jimmy John's or something. So there's like the Jimmy John's sandwich guy. <laughs> His amazing. yacht is out there. That's awesome. And last time I was there, it was like banging music. And I was with my nephew. My nephew's like, let's go out there. Cause I know I've met Kid Rock a few times. I'm like, you know what? I don't think this is a place for you. I don't think going to Kid Rock's boat is a place for a 15 year old at the time. Yeah. Who, who you know knows what, I mean? who knows you know, what they're doing on board? Yeah, you know Kid Rock, there's definitely, you know, cocaine and no parenting going on. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Yeah, my, my nephew did not need that. Yo, I'm finding all these weird bugs around my mom's place, I'm getting upset. Because I let one of my boys stay here, and he must have been, like, opening and closing the, the door to the outside a lot. And now this is his last time staying here, and he doesn't even know it yet. Man, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, like, California, you don't have to worry about that. You can leave your doors open, like no bugs ever come in. Yeah, bugs. Yeah, bugs don't want to be indoors in, in LA. But you it's know what I mean? it's scorching hot though. Ever since you left, it's been a heat wave. I'm hoping it ends soon. Really? Yeah, it's been like it's been like upwards of like 90, 100. It was 118 in Palm Springs. It's just been out of control. Hey. Yeah, that's terrible. It's like 75 here, which to me is hot, so I can't imagine 115. But I'm looking forward to this little bit of vacation time, Dave. I'm going to do some writing. I'm going to finish up the single mic script. I'm gonna, I wrote what I think is a really funny scene with Stamos in it. I'll tell you about it later. Awesome. And then you had a few meetings this week, too, right, on some upcoming projects you were working on. In Detroit? No, here in L.A., you took some meetings for some projects that you were working on. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, I met with Lionsgate two days ago. That was great. You know, good people over there, Grindstone the division of Lionsgate. And the funniest thing is I met with them because they want to make this movie, The District, about the uh, garment industry in the 70s. And so I met with the guy, and one of my friends that I actually grew up with playing hockey with, Ron Schwartz, is like a high-level executive over there. So uh-huh. I'm talking to the guy from Grindstone, Turns out my boy is like the man over there. And by the end of the conversation, I'm like, shit, I think I just got the movie made before this guy did. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I know the guy. Who's the guy? So is it like, you a- know, so it was really funny. In the middle of our lunch, I'm like, yo, do you know Ronnie? He's like, do I know Ronnie? I basically report to Ronnie. I said, well, we're going to go over to Lionsgate to your office to the other side of the building and let's walk in there and say, what up? He's like, no, y'all, man, you unless you really know him. I said, bro, I've been playing hockey with him for 35 years. I know him. I know him as well as his wife knows him. Wow. And so we did. We went to his office, and it was all love, bro. It was all love. That's good. It was very cool. That's definitely good yeah. for you, then. It's like one of those – yeah, it was great. By the end of it, I was, it was just like he, the guy from Lionsgate that I had lunch with, he had to go. I stayed with I stayed with Ronnie for another half hour and just talked about family and life and you know Michigan. 
That's great. And so is this movie a comedy, action? What what type of category would it fit into? This is a drama, a gangster drama that I wrote uh, based on a true story. So in 1975, there was a guy named Sid Lieberman, and he used to run the garment district. He was basically the accountant for the garment district for the mob, for the Gambinos and the Lucchese and Colombo families. They were all, you know, they were all involved in the garment industry, clothing. Wow. And so Sid kind of was the front man. He was the face. He was the mathematician. He understood every where every penny was. He knew how to make the money. He, so, they owned the trucks. They owned the routes. They owned the manufacturing. And you could not get a piece of material. You could not get a shirt or a dress into no, you know, Macy's or any of these stores without getting taxed by the mob. Wow. You know, and he made sure it all went down. So through a mutual friend, Lieberman's son found me. They hired me to write the movie. I wrote the movie, and now we've got some amazing, you know, Lionsgate and just like high-level amazing producers involved. And so it's definitely going to be my biggest, you know, unless unless shit just falls apart, which I don't think this will. I think everyone's already – they're already putting the paperwork together. But this would definitely be my biggest movie as far as budget goes. Uh, I'm not directing it as far as I know. I just wrote it and I'll produce it. But it's a it's like a you know sixteen seventeen million dollar movie. Wow! So it's definitely going to get a theater release. And, it's not going to be like straight to streaming, right? No, this is going to be real deal shit. This is uh, high level. They're talking to like major actors, you know, to play the parts and. Uh, it's exciting, but you know, it's one of those things. It's like I'm already writing my next thing. So when the paperwork's done, call my lawyer, make, you know, get the deal done, and on to the next. Because if I'm not directing it, they're not going to want to, they're probably not going to talk to me too much, yeah. you know, as the writer. Unless they want me to do a polish on it. And if they do, that's great. I'm totally down. But I'm just happy that I'm playing, you know, at that level. I mean, if you're, the writer, ma- if you're the major writer and then it does well, you're gonna your phone's gonna be ringing like crazy. Yeah, it's gonna be a major thing. So, you know, we'll see. I don't get excited, Dave. I only get excited when I'm actually physically writing or performing. Those are like the moments I love. When I'm done with something and I put it away or I give it to somebody, you gotta you have to detach yourself because they could turn it into anything. And if you stay emotionally attached it can just fuck your head up, you know? Exactly. So I'm, uh, I'm past the point of, you know, trying to control it. I, I got notes from Nick Cassavetes on it, who I respect in a huge way. He's a great director, writer. He's got great taste. Nick read it. He gave me some notes, and I took it to the next level, and that's when Lionsgate jumped on board, and... Uh, I will be keeping everybody posted on the Mike Young show. The Mike Young show. <laughs> the Mike Young show. And now, now like, we've it's got a good ring to it because now we got the you know the Instagram being the Mike Young show. We've got Twitter. It says at Mike Young show, and so we're gonna have everything consistent. And then, especially with the artwork, we're gonna have it's gonna be very easy to find. Yeah. So that's it. Tomorrow, so Dave, I'm gonna I'm gonna break out of here because it's uh, two fifty. Over here. Okay. No problem. And um, is there anything else we need to talk? You want to talk about? Um, 
Not at the moment. Not that I can think of. Just have to get ready for uh, our, our show next week. Awesome. So if you're in Canada, Saturday night, Mike Young, Russell Peters, Windsor, Caesars Palace, Windsor, Caesars, Windsor. Next week, Saget and I, August 3rd and 4th, are playing Kansas City Improv. Excited for that. The following week, Saget's at Oxnard Levity Live. Not sure if I'm going to be there, but if I'm not, the following week after that, we'll be in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. And we got a bunch of gigs coming up. And I'm in the cave just writing away. So thanks for tuning in to the Mike Young Show. Stock tip, Dave, you're the man. Aaron, thanks for getting all our stuff straight. Absolutely. And uh, hit me if you need me. I'll be in Detroit on actually, a scooter. Absolutely. And there, before you go, there's actually one thing I wanted to get your opinion on. Since I know you've you know, had a close relationship with the Cavaliers, but LeBron's uh, mural got vandalized for a second time. So it's like people in LA. You know, are I'm, not, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not good with that type of stuff. I know Dan Gilbert would never be happy about something like that. That's petty bitch shit. I don't like that LeBron's mural. I don't like, I don't care about LeBron like that. Like, I don't know him like that. But, and I don't, you know, maybe I'm not a fan of some of his decisions that he's made as, as a fan, but uh, as a Cleveland fan. But I do not approve of, you know, destruction, destroying a mural of, you know, not just that. Forget LeBron, the guy that painted the mural, you're fucking with his work. Like, that's hard work to make a mural. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, so whoever that artist is, I'd be pissed, and I would sit back with some some. I'd go recruit seven gang members, and wait to see the guy <laughs> who's ruining my mural, and I whoop the shit out of him. Yeah, it's because it's like L, like he left Cleveland for L.A. and L.A. doesn't want him. It's weird. L.A. does want him though. Are you kidding? L.A. couldn't be happier. It's one stupid ass artist. Not I wouldn't even call the guy an artist. It's one stupid ass tagger. That's ruining his shit. L.A. could not be happier to have LeBron. Are you kidding? Oh yeah. You know. I think I think it's just our boys. My boy Danny A. went to dinner with LeBron and Leo. You know, a few weeks ago, put that dinner together. I think you know. Listen, bro. You can't hate on a guy. I I, I never. I was never like that invested in athletes' lives to get mad at them for shit. I'm not with that so much because I always figure. If you ain't coming to my comedy show, why am I going to worry about your game? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. We don't know each other like that. You got your own life. You know what I mean? I'm a, I was a fanatic about the, you know, the late 80s, the, the bad boys of Detroit. <laughs> but I was never mad at a player, except Isaiah Thomas one time dissed me at a party. That's, that's another story. <laughs> and, but that's it, yeah. So yeah. fuck that guy that's, that's messing with LeBron's mural. That's not cool at all. And, uh, you know, I'm not with that. I'll talk to Dan Gilbert. I'll tell him Stock Tip Dave's upset, too. Exactly. And then we'll have to save your Isaiah Thomas, uh, we'll have to save your Isaiah Thomas uh, story for next time, I guess. Which one? The one you, were just, you, just, the one you just mentioned about Isaiah Thomas and you at a party. I was kind of curious. We can, you know, talk about it next, next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it next week. There was, like, a moment in my life where I was after college. Uh, I'd see, like, the bad boys after they were done and they'd be at like the same party or the same bar and we'd be hitting on the same girls and, you know, athletes got ego. So (laughs) it's all good. All right, yo, I'll talk to you guys later. That's it. See you on the road. The Mike Young show. 
Aaron, again, bro, thanks for everything and keeping us uh, relevant and keeping our, you know, keeping this thing going. Stock tip Dave, you're the man. I'll talk to you later, buddy. All right, talk to you guys soon. Take me back when I was a kid. Take me Never back Never had now. to worry about oh. what I did. The one time I'm a man two. now. Check it out. Now. Gotta the get it down. No sound. time get for fun down now. now. Take me back uh, when I was a kid. Two. Never had to worry about what back. I Coming did. Coming back for you. But I'm a man now.